Hi friends and welcome to Robcast number 28. Uh, it is just such a thrill to be talking to you on this Robcast podcast. I'm in my green room in Jacksonville, Florida at the Performing Arts Center and I'm about to go on and do my Everything Spiritual uh, one-man show and uh, so I thought I would record one right now. First off, I have uh, pre-game butterflies, like I always do. I think I have been uh, talking, speaking, teaching, preaching, giving messages, doing shows like this on tour for like 20 years, and I still get all butterfly-y. Is that, a, <laughs> is that an adjective, butterfly-y? Because, by the way, butterflies, are the universe's way of telling you that you're still in the game. You know what I mean? The problem isn't butterflies. The problem is the day that you don't have them. Um, now, if you lived constantly with butterflies, that might get a little old, but it's just this feeling like, what's going to happen tonight with these people? Oh, my word, I get to do this. It's not dread like, oh, my word, butterflies. It's anticipation. It's thrill. It's Oh my gratitude, I get to do this. I get to talk to these people. So uh, over the past uh, couple of days, we've been in San Diego, Phoenix, Tulsa, Austin, Dallas, Houston, New Orleans, Nashville, Atlanta, Miami, and I've gotten to meet a number of you. Um, we do a pre-show from six to seven where uh, 50 people come and we have a conversation. I tell a bit of my story. I tell what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. Um, what I'm up to and then people just ask questions and we end up having this great conversation and I didn't used to do the pre-show thing when I toured but I'm now thinking why didn't I this is the best and so I get to meet a bunch of you and we get to have an actual conversation I get to learn about you and we laugh and there's always a bit of crying and there's always a bit of emotion and there's always a bit of joy it's just it's been incredible so and sometimes Kristen joins me for that and we give people a copy of our book the zimzum of love and um so each day there's sort of this rhythm you load in at three then you do sound check we set up the whiteboard all that then i get to meet a bunch of you it's from six to seven then a little break which is right now i'm in that break and then i go on at 8 30 and do my about a two hour show and then after the show i go right to the lobby and um i tell everybody that i would like to meet everybody who came and some, a number of you, a, a stunning number of you, actually take me up on it. And so I get to meet literally hundreds of you every night. And we have a photographer there. We do a photo, sign a book, give a hug, whatever it is. Um, and so doing this podcast, recording this podcast now um, in the green room before we go on, I'm just, there's this thing that happens when you meet an extraordinary number of people in a short, compressed time. You... You start like uh, carrying their faces and their um, words around with you and certain people just sort of jump out at me and, and all of you, it's it's this deep moment of connection even if we just talk for uh, you know 30 seconds. In Phoenix, this woman waited in line and she comes up to me and she says, I'm a mom. Thank you for tonight. I realize now that I have been withdrawing from life, that I've essentially just been hiding out in my house and I don't want to do that and I said well thank you and she said well here's why she said I have a son who is in prison and he's in prison for the thing that society most looks down upon 
And of course, I'm, I'm thinking probably like you are now. I wonder what that is. I'm assuming, I don't know, what do you think? Like pedophilia or something involving the harming of kids? Like, that's the thing that sort of first comes to mind anyway. She says, he's in prison for the thing that society most looks down upon. And she says, I have so much shame. And so she said, I, I basically sort of withdrawn from the world, stay in my house. And she says, uh, tonight I realized that I need to change because um, this isn't good. This, isn't, this hasn't been good for me and, and now I'm realizing it. And so I said to her, is, uh, are there other people in prison for the same thing that your son is in prison for? And she says, yeah, yeah. And I said, are the other people who are in prison for what your son is in prison for, do they have moms? And she said, well, yeah, I would assume so. And I said, do you think that their moms are going through what you're going through? And she said, well, yeah, I would assume so. It's awful. And I said, do you cook? Do you have a house? She said, yeah, yeah. I said, what if you made a meal and you invited all those moms over to your house? and you just sat around and just told your stories. What would happen? She's like, well, we'd probably all see that we're not alone. I said, yeah, wouldn't that be interesting? And then I got to look her in the eyes and say, maybe this is what you're supposed to do next. Maybe this is your calling. Maybe this is what you're supposed to do to help get you out is to get them out and just see what happens. These are the kinds of things that we're all, you know this, the kinds of things people are carrying around. We just need to know that we're not alone. There was this great moment in Dallas. Uh, we sleep on, in, on the bus and then we wake up in the alley behind the venue for the following night. And uh, so in the morning, when we get there, sometimes we go into the venue just to see it. Because a lot of these theaters and clubs are just, they're stunning. They've got so much history and you sort of get a feel for what it's gonna be like that night, what the setting is like. In Dallas, we, sh we show up, we go in in the morning and they're cleaning the main, it's the Majestic Theater that I was at and the Majestic Theater is this, well it's Majestic, <laughs> there's a reason why it's called that. It's got like two balconies and it's got all this ornate woodwork. It is a stunning venue. And Noel Gallagher and the High Flying Birds had just played there um, recently so they've had all these legendary shows Johnny Cash John Denver you actually they ask you when you do that venue to sign a door on the right side of the stage where the people who play have signed it's sort of like a tradition there and Eddie Izzard has been there come on and then the middle of the door is Johnny Cash signature just you know these these venues just have such rich history and so we go in to the back part of the stage just to see what it looks like looking out at the seats and there's one dude in the balcony, in the middle balcony, and he's vacuuming, he's cleaning from the show the night before. And he's got headphones in, so he doesn't hear us. And he's singing. And here's the thing, he has an unbelievably great voice. And so he's just, so there's that low hum of a vacuum cleaner, like that And then this voice echoing with no amplification, through this huge theater and it's it's like stunning so we all just stand there and listen and we're sort of bleary-eyed and you don't sleep that well when the bus is moving through the night and so you sort of stumble out and you walk in and all of a sudden you're like oh. it's almost like this is holy sacred ground you just sort of have a moment like whoa this 
is beautiful. And then uh, I remember in, Tal- in Tulsa, this guy uh, comes through the line after the show and he says to me, he's got a fantastic beard and a straw hat. He is just a strapping young man. He says to me, thank you for your books. They helped me leave a cult. And um, I was like, wow, that's really overwhelming. Because when you're a writer, you, you sort of sit all alone and write, and you don't really know what you have on your hands. You're just trying to be true to the thing as it sort of reveals itself to you. And it's all that sort of sweat and blood and typing and deleting and crafting and editing and all that. And then, you know, you put it out there, and then years later, a guy thanks you. There's like sort of aren't categories for that, for that sort of overwhelming grace upon grace gratitude but the guy says thank you because i uh helped me leave a cult my son preston is entering the green room what's up p dog what's up what are you up to got some posters to say oh okay here i'll do them right here we're still going um i'm just recording a robcast oh, sweet. you know it's you. not a podcast it's a robcast okay do you, want, do you want me just to leave them here when i'm done uh i'll take them when you're done okay so uh, what was I doing again? Um, my friend Mark Boss, he did my book Drops Like Stars, and he also directed some Numas. He's just an extraordinary artist. He made a poster, like a print, of the central triangle image from the tour. And so we have some of those at the table in the back. And so we sort of numbered. They're numbered and signed and um, a bit of art for people to take home and... So Preston just walked right in, and now we need to sign some of these. I'll do it in a second. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, where in the world was I? Oh, yeah, so this guy says, thank you. It helped me leave a cult. And then here's what's interesting. We we hug, we do a photo, then he walks away, and a girl walks up, a young woman, and she says, thank you, that was my brother. And when he left the cult, for the first time, it gave me strength to leave. And what so struck me is, man, you have no idea what your step might unleash in someone else. Like whatever it is that you're thinking about doing, whatever it is that you know is the next right thing, but for some reason you're sort of hung up, you're not able to get at it. You have no idea what your simple next right thing, what your step, what your flying leap, what what risk it is whatever roll of the dice you know you need to do you have no idea it, how it might affect somebody and here's a, a sister saying thank you uh, because he did something and for the first time it created imagination in me that maybe I could do it too you have no idea what the next right thing for you might unleash in someone close to you and then in San Diego, I got to see, um, I'm, I'm hugging people and I'm meeting people and I recognize this woman, like I know her, but from a long time ago, when I first started out, when I was in seminary, I was a youth pastor and I had this group of kids. We were like a gang or a posse more than we were a youth group. Um, and these kids, I just adored these kids and we had some extraordinary times together. By the way, these kids, at one point I said to them, this would have been 1993, 94, At one point, I said to them, I have this idea for an event. Here's what we're going to do. Everybody bring a dish to pass, just whatever it is, and then we're going to get one table, and we're going to put all the dishes that we brought on the table, and let's call it a potluck. And then we're going to invite all your friends, and we're going to have like a meal 
but everybody's gonna bring a dish so that the meal will be all these different kinds of foods. And these high school kids in Southern California were like, that is the coolest idea ever. So we started this thing called Potluck Fever, <laughs> which is basically me taking the potluck and just telling them that it's a really, really cool thing to do. So these kids and I, we go way back and we have these amazing memories together, but in line, that would have been 93. So like 22 years later, a woman comes through the line and I recognize her and I think, Hannah, is that Hannah? She says, yes. And one of those girls that was in my group, she's now a woman and she's there with her partner and she tells me that she's now a priest. Are you kidding me? She was always magic. That girl always had it going on. And now she's a priest leading other people in Eucharist in to the resurrection life. Do you know what that's like when you run into somebody down the road and you see what they've become, who they've become? Ah, oh, so great. And then in Atlanta, I do this interview with Con Jackson, who's this fantastic human being. And Con Jackson says, I want to do an interview, but I want to do it at the Atlanta Children's Center, like hospital. It's like a complex of hospitals at Emory University. So I go over there. And I was like, where are we doing the interview? And he says, Ryan Seacrest, who's from Atlanta. You familiar with this fella, the fella on television and radio? He said he donated a kajillion dollars and to build a studio in the lobby of a children's hospital that would produce original programming to be piped directly into the kids' rooms in case they weren't mobile enough to move around the building. They could have fresh new content just created for them. How brilliant is that you know when you find out somebody who has a kajillion dollars and they used it for something like this now here's the thing so i go into this hospital and when you think about a children's hospital if you're like me you think wow kids with illnesses cancer how to that's a heavy place but what's fascinating about this hospital is it was not a place of heaviness it was a place of lightness sound familiar light heavy light what was so interesting is the volunteers the doctors the nurses this place was like lit up with life and joy. And obviously a number of families who are there and serious suffering and questioning and your whole world's been turned upside down if your kid's sick. But what was so interesting is, oh, here's Kristen Bell. Hi, Kristen. Hi. I'm doing a broadcast. Awesome. I'm literally just telling stories about people I've met. Oh, I just brought Brad Nelson to say hello, but you're- Oh, is he really? Yeah. Oh, well, have him come in. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. My man! What's going on? How are you? Good to see you. I'm recording a Robcast. Oh, nice. Brad Nelson is like my bud from way back. We were at Mars Hill and Grand Rapids together, and then he came to Florida. Brick City? Brick City Church. Started a church in Ocala called Brick City, and he's just tearing it up with his lovely wife, Tricia, and it's just fantastic. And now I get to see you and hang out with you. So I'm talking to my friends here. I'm almost done, I think. Although I may go on for a long time more, because I just love telling people about these people that I'm meeting. So where was I again? Oh yeah, so Ryan Seacrest builds this studio. And so we go and we do an interview there, but here's the thing. It's the lobby of a children's hospital, which should be the most depressing place on the planet, right? Sick kids, what could bring you down faster? And yet the place is like lit up with joy and energy. So extraordinary. And the volunteers, and they had the summer intern program for high school kids. And it just struck me again that whenever Whenever people decide in the face of suffering and devastation and unwanted illness and diagnoses, when people decide we will join each other in this darkness, 
and we will bond together and we will build things and we will broadcast things and we will help then something happens there's like this buoyancy of the human spirit and i know that sounds like something bob costas would say during the olympics but the thing about it in like two weeks when you meet this many people is what strikes me and hearing lots of people like the woman i told you about who are going through really dark suffering what strikes you is not how heavy it is but what strikes you is how there is this indomitable human spirit that just keeps moving forward uh, and then in Miami, I got to meet Glennon from Monastery. Are you familiar with the story? Glennon's a mom in Florida, and she decides she's got all of this truth in her she needs to speak. She essentially said, I just needed to be honest. And so she started getting up at 4.30 every morning. This is a story she told me, was Miami yesterday? Good yes. Lord, Miami was yesterday. This is a story she told me, because I'd heard about the legend of Monastery. And Glennon says, she started getting up every morning at 4.30 and writing. For like an hour or two and then she made a vow that she at whatever she'd written in that time space before her kids woke up she would publish she would hit publish and she started a blog and then it like kaboom blew up into new york times best-selling books and traveling and speaking and events and now she has this nonprofit organization that's doing extraordinary things and we were just talking and what I was so struck with is she didn't set out to be successful. She didn't set out to have New York Times bestsellers. She got up each morning because she needed to for her own life and joy and sanity. So many people, they want influence, they want power, they want money, they want people to read their stuff. And I always say, start and do it for yourself. So I had this image of her 4.30 every morning, just writing the things she needed to write about being a mom, being a wife, being a human being, being a person of faith, struggle, doubt, fear, worry, addiction, chaos, all that. She just started writing about it and it exploded into this thing. And that tells me whatever it is you have inside of you, just start typing, just take the next step. What I see in meeting so many of you, you possess untold dignity and honor. You may not see it or be aware of it, but you, as a human being, you carry this divine spark. And one of the things about a meet and greet line when I get to meet, like I think last night, 250 people in a row, is what strikes me is how, and I know this sounds completely cheesy, but how beautiful human beings are. You're weird and quirky and funky and you have some odd habits, I get it. And you drive some people around you a little nuts because you keep telling stories about college or whatever it is, I get it, but, <laughs> You're also a human being, and a human being is like a walking miracle. And then I, the number of marriages, the number of couples who come up, and first off, I can tell that they belong together at some sort of weird quantum physics level. What you have is beautiful. Honestly, all of you. Your partner and you, it's beautiful. It really is. Cherish it, protect it, respect it love each other like the thing that you have it's really beautiful because i just meet you for like 30 seconds and my first thought is oh my word these two they were they were made for each other this is fantastic and then what's also striking to me again and again and again everybody's just trying to figure it out the people with lots of money are just trying to figure it out the people with no money are just trying to figure it out the people with 10 kids the people with one kid everybody's just trying to figure it out and what happens is you assume and kristen and i were talking about this tonight at the pre-show thing you always assume that certain people they just got to this point where now they're just gliding, but no one is. The secret to the whole thing is that you never stop figuring it 
out. So whatever it is, just try it. It's an adventure, just try it. There's something new in the air. Maybe you need a push. Maybe you've got this thing you've been thinking about doing or trying. Follow your curiosity, find out what it is. There's something that you know you've always wanted to do, just do it. Because so many of you, I meet you, and I've met you before on previous tours or whatever, or events we've done in California, and then you went home and, or, or whatever, and you started it, and now you're like, oh my word, I'm so glad I did that. Whatever it is, just try it, and if it fails, it will make great stories for your kids. <laughs> so, we're just getting started. I'm coming your way this week, Durham, Richmond, Silver Spring, Maryland, then we'll be in New York City at Town Hall, and then this Saturday night, I'll be at the House of Blues in Boston, and I am so thrilled to meet more of you, to hear your stories, to see the dignity and honor that is you as a human being, because we are all in this together. So do what you do, like that dude vacuuming and singing, just give it everything you got, because that is so inspiring. Grace and peace be with you, my friends.